Hello, and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today, I'm speaking with Lisa Charlieboy, co-editor of Dreaming an Indian, Contemporary Native American Voices, an anthology of poems, stories, photography, and other artwork from Native American writers and artists. The book is being published in October by Anik Press, which is sponsoring this podcast. Along with her co-editor, Mary Beth Leatherdale, Lisa Charlie Boyd gathered contributions from dozens of artists, writers, and other talents from a broad spectrum of indigenous and native North American backgrounds to create the collection Dreaming in Indian. Charlie Boy is also the co-founder and editor-in-chief of Urban Native Magazine, a pop culture magazine focused on indigenous culture, which grew out of a blog, Urban Native Girl, that she began in 2007. Thank you for speaking with me, Lisa. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So maybe to start off, uh, you could talk more about yourself and, and maybe your work with Urban Native Magazine, just to give listeners a bit more information about your own background. Certainly. So while I was in journalism school, I started my blog, Urban Native Girl, which was all about pop culture with an indigenous twist. And it came from a very personal perspective. And last year, I decided to change the blog's platform into a magazine, to an online magazine, to bring in other voices to weigh in on pop culture with an indigenous twist. So still keeping the same sort of idea and flow of content, but changing so that there was many voices and not just my own. Okay. And then how did the the idea for this book originally come about and how did you and Mary Beth uh, come to be involved with it? So Mary Beth actually approached me as she'd seen my blog and uh, was curious to see if I'd be interested on working on this kind of a really fresh, young, youthful book with her. And she actually had the idea and came to me with it. And then we developed and worked on it and sort of created a structure for it as we worked together. Okay. And then was the book already signed up with Anik at that point? Or did you then, the two of you, go and sort of try to find a home for it? Well, Mary Beth actually had a relationship with Anik Press prior to this. So she had uh, talked to them a little bit about it, but we did pitch it finally together. And um, how did the two of you uh, go about sort of finding and bringing together the many contributors and voices whose, whose work is represented in the collection? There were many ways that we reached out to contributors. So some people I had known through my work in throughout North America, like meeting with artists and visual artists and writers. And so there was a lot of people that were already on my radar that I knew what their work was about and what they might be able to contribute. And we also did call outs like through Facebook, through Twitter and Tumblr and through the magazine and through the blog where we asked people to contribute. So we did do reach outs like that, specifically for Indigenous youth, we wanted younger voices that would be reflected in here. So it was really a lot of different ways in reaching out to people. Mm-hmm. And what was the, the timetable of this? When when did you sort of start uh, looking? How long did this take? And the actual call-outs for finding people was a little bit of a longer process because we wanted to ensure that we would be able to get to get all the voices and give people time to be able to do that. So it was about a three-month period that we waited for people to send in their work and followed up for, for you know, higher images, you know, th- those sorts of things. What, what was the response like? We got a lot of responses specifically for the Idle No More contribution. So we asked uh, youth what their participation was with Idle No More and if they could send in, whether that be photographs or poetry or artwork or anything around their involvement with the Idle No More movement. And that was a huge response. 
And can you uh, explain for those who don't know a little bit about that movement and what it involves? Certainly. I Don't Know More was a movement that started in, in, in Canada and was really a social media phenomenon. It started in reaction to some of the changes in the government that uh, people were, Native people were having issues with, and it became um, a youth movement of really becoming more aware of what the Canadian constitution and what the government and what sort of the bill changes would be affecting uh, daily lives and sort of grew into a greater sort of movement of where people were just feeling, you know, empowerment in their heritage and their culture and standing up for their rights. Hmm. And we, you talked about uh, just now about getting some younger voices represented in this collection. Does this book represent then uh, some, time, some of the very first uh, times some of these uh, people's writing or photography um, had, really has been published at all? Absolutely. And some of the... Um, and there's also emerging writers who may not be necessarily young but have never been published and just sort of starting a new stream. Um, Tanya Leah Watts is one of the youngest writers and she blew me away. I saw her at an open open mic uh, night and she shared a short story which is featured in here and it was so beautiful and she's such a young woman. She's about 16 and she's an amazing writer already and her story is the only place she knows. So I'm curious, as as the submissions began to come in, um, were you and Mary Beth uh, struck by sort of different commonalities, themes that really seemed to either emerge or run through uh, the works? We kind of actually did it a little bit the opposite way, where we created the sections that we wanted. So we have four parts, roots, battles, medicines, and dream catchers. And we curated uh, stories amongst those broad spectrums. Okay. And um, in terms of, I mean, there's a large number of contributors that ended up making it into the the final book, but I'm curious, were there, were there a lot of folks where, I guess, how much were you able to use and were there some that, you know, you just couldn't use everything because of the response? Definitely in the, in the areas where we did call outs for youth contributors, um, that there was lots that we couldn't fill because there was such a huge response. In terms of the other artists, we, like I said, we really reached out to the people who we knew would fit in into certain categories and different parts to be able to share their artwork or their photography or their poetry in that section. We had a pretty good idea of what exactly we would be getting from them. You know, given how personal so many of the entries uh, and submissions were and some of the issues that they, they discuss, whether it's discrimination or, or stereotypes or the residential school system, um, was it difficult to, to spend uh, a lot of time with them at, at times? Did you find it to be a, I don't want to say a painful process, but you know, given how, again, how personal some of the stories are? Well, because of my background in in the blog and sharing pop culture and sharing artist stories and their um, reaching out to the artist, Native artist community at large for so many years, I have built up a quite personal relationship with a lot of these people. So there are people that have or have a trust with me, at least to know that I will be uh, cautious of their work and be and trusting in the process that you know, that they can feel comfortable in sharing their work, whether that be their poetry or their stories. And so having that uh, professional relationship and established over a long number of years brings a great comfort. So it made people be able to share their stories and, and pieces of their heart, really, um, in a way that they might not have done had it been someone else that they haven't had 
uh, a relationship with or uh, or even understanding you know what my perspective is and and how I like to share things and and my reputation mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in, in the introduction to the book, uh, you and Mary Beth talk about uh, your desire to portray uh, an indigenous experience through a perspective that's distinct from uh, those that are often seen in the media and in Hollywood and that sort of thing. Um, you know, what are the cultural shortcuts or stereotypes do you see media returning to again and again in its portrayals of uh, Native peoples that you really hope to sort of um, counteract and sort of work against? One of the biggest stereotypes that I am finding a lot of issue with is sort of the sexualization of Native women in representing throughout movies and throughout television, throughout media. And that is uh, something that I find very challenging and very difficult personally. And that's why I really try to work with, to show to show women, Native women represented in other ways, because that type of representation really translates and trickles down to real life issues, including missing and mid- murdered Indigenous women here in Canada. So those type of stereotypes are not only something that can hurt emotionally, it's actually something that is um, is really felt politically and socially as well. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you've seen through your work with the blog and through the book sort of firsthand that the harm uh, that these stereotypes can bring, especially to, to children and youth. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's difficult for young Native women to be able to see only certain types of images um, perpetuated to them through media and through um, through mainstream media and through images, uh, to it's important for them to have positive, beautiful women uh, to look up to that are successful and educated and, and doing different things. And, and those are really important images and role models that young people need. We have Ashley Collingbull, a nice fashion spread with her wearing traditional clothing that's passed through her family. And she's represented in a very beautiful and very um, traditional way. Along those lines, several of the entries in the book do talk about the idea of reappropriating, I think, aspects of Native culture, whether it's stereotypical visual visual imagery that's been used in the past or even these sort of fashion influences. Is that something that you're you're personally especially interested in, uh, given uh, your background in the ways that sort of fashion and pop culture intersect with uh, Native culture? I really feel like right now that there's this emergence of Native talent all across Canada and the U.S. that's really coming forward and taking taking the stereotypes and the images from the past that have been represented to us and twisting them and making them our own and reworking them. And there's also artists like A Tribe Called Red who take traditional powwow music and are mixing it with modern influences to create their own sound of powwow dubstep and their own and music that's coming really from within that we're able to share with the world. So there's a really a large native sort of cultural renaissance that's happening within this generation that is for me unlike anything because we were we are actually able to share with mainstream and mainstream is interested and excited about what's happening. Uh, so there are are there a few examples of of works in the book that sort of really impressed you or you thought that were especially good at you know dismantling or inverting some of these existing uh, cultural stereotypes? Absolutely. Nadia Kwandabens is an Anishinaabe photographer and she's been working on a series called Concrete Indians and she's been working for over a number of years. So in the book, we have four of the portraits from this Concrete Indian series. And what's amazing about the series is she actually asked the participants to choose 
what how they'd like to be portrayed within an urban setting. And so it's not her setting up images, it's the actual participants deciding how they want to be represented in an urban setting. For example, we have Jennifer Podemski, who is an actor, director, producer, uh, and she chose to be photoed uh, or photographed rather by her local Starbucks. And she's working on her Blackberry, getting her stuff done, drinking a coffee, and she's also wearing mukluks, which are uh, traditional uh, northern native footwear. Hmm. And you yourself actually appear in this series too, right? I do. Can you talk a little bit about the image that you appear in? Certainly. I actually chose to be photographed in a wedding dress from the 1920s from uh, Mohawk Nation. And I chose to be, it's, it's a suede fringe beaded type of dress. So a very stereotypical looking dress. And I chose that dress because I feel so invisible as a Native person within the city. And the only way that I feel that people can really view me as a Native person is if I really outwardly express it in such an obvious manner that people have to pick up on those cues to be able to identify me as a Native woman. So that's why I chose that dress. And I chose to take it at the heart of the city, which is Young and Dundas our Times Square, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so that was the sort of interpretation of the, of the portrait that I wanted to portray. Okay. Um, you know, in, in the beginning of the book, uh, you have a quote from a musician and journalist, uh, Wab Kinu, uh, who says, yes. uh, there's no one Indigenous perspective, no one Indigenous story. Um, was it daunting or something that you were, hi- I guess, highly aware of? Um, is to, uh, to try to showcase uh, a diverse range of backgrounds and experiences and voices when you were putting the collection together? It was certainly something that we thought about a lot, Mary Beth and I, and wanted to ensure that we were including people from the North, people from Métis heritage, people from the Southwest, and trying to cover all of um, in-country, as we call North America, in, in the best way possible. Of course, there are so many viewpoints and so many perspectives and so many nations. It is um, a little challenging to be able to include all perspectives, but did the best to showcase a variety of views from a variety of places in, in the best way possible in this book. Mm-hmm. And there's also, you know, a, a real diversity when it comes to just the content itself, of course, which you know, is these photographs you've discussed. There's poems, there's comics a little bit, there's stories and essays. And um, did, you, did you know very early on that this was, you know, the, the diversity of content? And that there's almost a magazine-like quality to the layout where those things that um, you guys envisioned from from very early on, on in the process? Absolutely. That was our starting point, I'd say, was like being able to visualize what the book would look like. And that was how we were able to understand what kind of content we wanted, because we did want to have that sort of uh, we didn't want it to have a clean, neat flow. We wanted it to look disruptive from page to page and look very different and highly visual. So it's exciting for young people to to look through so it doesn't all look the same so that there is these these various images that can be can be interpreted hmm. and uh what do you think would be the one thing you'd hope uh readers if, if if you can narrow it down to one thing that readers would take away from a book like this after they finished it 
to realize that the Native experience is very diverse and that we are in the modern context and that we we have a lot of history behind us and we have a lot to share of uh, beautiful work, beautiful art to share with everyone. And I just hope that, that people really are understanding the Native experience is unique, but we are also still here and a part, a huge fabric of society. And I think it would be nice if we all tried to understand each other's cultures a little more. Hmm. Well, congratulations again on the book and thank you for speaking with me. Thank you so much. Once again, I've been speaking with Lisa Charlie Boy, co-editor of the anthology Dreaming in Indian, out in October from Anik Press. Thank you for listening to PW KidsCast. Cast.